You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Hey, I, I wanna, before we jump in, we're in the middle of a sermon series on what it means to be the church and more specifically what it means to make disciples. I feel like I'm hot this morning, so it's about to, it's about to get real hot, right, in the sermon, right? Um, and we are, are about to talk about prayer this morning, and I wanna frame the sermon in a couple ways. I wanna do it in a couple ways. First, I wanna frame it in this way, is that I don't have some fancy way to pray. This isn't RJ's fancy time of prayer this morning, right? That's not what we're gonna be talking about. Though it's gonna be practical, what I'd rather this time be for us this morning is a call to prayer, as a church and as a body and, and as individuals that we would be called to prayer and see that it is so foundational for the disciples' lives and for our lives. And then secondly, I want it kind of to be a two-parter. Bill did this last week, so I feel the freedom to do it too. Uh, back in 2016, one of, our, uh, one of our former pastors, one of our great pastors, William Kane, preached an excellent sermon whoop, whoop, on, uh, on prayer, and that is an excellent sermon. And so I was like, well, That'll, that can be your guide and how-to, and you can do William Cain's fancy way to pray. I'm just kidding. It's really helpful, though, and I think it's a wonderful sermon. So I want this to be the call to prayer, and if you want to grow and if you feel a conviction to grow in prayer, there's a lot of opportunities and resources that we have as a church, and we're going to talk about those as we continue, but that sermon will be really impactful for your life. So again, let me just set, I already prayed, but I want to pray again. We're talking about prayer and this is convicting for me, right? Talking about prayer is convicting for me because there's seasons in our life, right, where we're either really good at reading our Bibles or really good at not reading, or really good at not reading our Bibles or in praying in the same way, right? And so prayer for me has been convicting and even preparing to preach to you on a call to prayer because I feel like it's been a call on my life to pray. So let me pray now as before we jump into the meat of the sermon. Lord, your word is... It is sharp and it is convicting. And I am praying again, Lord, because I need a double portion of your spirit this morning to talk about prayer. I need your help and your people need your help. Lord, we need your help to pray, to feel confidence in our prayers, to feel joy in our prayers, to feel like there is actual work being done in our prayers, that you are actually hearing our prayers in a world that is so distraught and in our lives that are so broken. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us in this time as we go into your word, um, Lord, that we would be encouraged by it and that we would be sanctified by it. I pray this in your son's name, amen. All right, now we can get into the sermon, right? That first part was free. What a year it's been in some ways, right? Like, it's been a year since I've been up here, right? So who would imagine that we would all, half of you would be wearing masks, right? And Half of it would be empty because of coronavirus, right? And that's okay. But what a year it's been. And it's been a crazy year for the Lago family, too, in a lot of ways. We became parents this past year, um, which is pretty great. But we became foster parents, specifically. Um, so we've been foster parents for almost a year now. And she was over there with our little guy. Um, but we, the first kid we took into our home, we, we got into foster care not to adopt. Um, but the first kid that comes into our home was actually a transfer from another home, another wonderful home, and they were like, hey, we, we can't adopt him, but we want him to go to a permanent home 
and they're telling us that, and we're like, uh, okay. Like, we didn't get in this to adopt, but all right, Lord, this is what you're giving us. And he has been just the sweetest, I won't use his name, but he's just been the sweetest little boy that we could have ever imagined coming into our home. Yeah, I mean, he just fit perfectly from day one in our home. And we've been, and, and, and I love bragging about him because he's not my genes too, right? Like, I feel like it's not sinful to do that, right? Um, but we've just been, but in just in a, in a godly way, just so proud of what the Lord's done in his life. And I wanna give a shout out real quick. I see them like all sitting right here. My community group has helped Alyssa and I um, immensely. I could cry over it because they have, I can't look at them. Um, they have uh, just helped us so much in bringing us meals and loving on us um, and have just prayed for us this whole time and uh, try not to cry. And they've just loved us well. And so moving on, we, <laughs> we, have been with him, and one of the first things we've noticed, he's a toddler, I mean, when we got him, he was like nine months old, and the first thing we noticed is that he is a massive, like underscore, bold, mama's boy, right? Just, I mean, he is a mama's boy, which is probably a good thing in some ways, right? But it's, it's normal for toddlers, like I know that, but it's, it's different, right? It's different because he is a foster kid, and so Alyssa and I have really had to work hard with him and be diligent with him to, to, to help him to see. We've, we, me and him have had to spend a lot of quality time and quantity time together to, to show him that he's got two parents, right? He's got two parents. He's got a dad who loves him as well. And you see, the, the problem with that is that he wasn't just learning how to communicate. Like, he's just been exploding with his vocabulary and speaking and communicating with the world. And it's not just that he's learning how to communicate, but he's learning how to communicate with a new father. And that's the difference, right? And that's what we're gonna be looking at today in prayer, is that it's very similar in some ways when we think about prayer. And here's the secret about prayer. It's literally just a dialogue between God and man. That's all it is, that's all it is. But you might be thinking this morning, when I use the word prayer, we, we, just as a culture, think about prayer in a general sense. Everybody prays, non-believer, believer, believer uh, Muslim, Mormon, Jehovah's Witnesses, everybody's got prayer. Everybody, like every religion has some sort of form of prayer. But what makes biblical prayer distinct? And is there a distinction? Is there a distinction? I believe there is, and I believe the biggest distinction is that the Bible progressively reveals prayer in such a way that it makes our prayers distinct and unique. So if you have a Bible, would you join me in Romans chapter eight as we unpack this little section and all of scripture, what it has to say on prayer. As you're turning to Romans, Romans is one of the best books in the Bible, um, and it is just wonderful because Paul is making an argument. He is going through the gospel and unpacking different ways that the gospel, uh, the blessings of the gospel, what Christ has done in the gospel, our faults and sin in the gospel. He shows all of that in such immense ways, and so I'd encourage you to go read that book. It is, it is thick. It is a thick, juicy steak of theology, and, and one of the arguments that he's making through Romans is that in our natural state, we are an Adam, our representative, our federal head. We are an Adam. We are in sin. While we're in the flesh, in our natural state, we're in sin. All of us, every last one of us. But by faith and by the Spirit's work in our lives, we are in Christ. And so he's making this argument and progressively going through, and there's so much to unpack there, but I'm not going to. But in verse 12 of chapter 8, he gets to another section of the gospel, and specifically adoption. 
In verse 12, he says, so then, brothers, and he's talking to the church, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live in your natural state is what he's saying, you're going to die. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. But if by the spirit you put to death, if you murder, if you kill, if you destroy the sin in your life, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And how do we do that? We're about to see. For all who are led by the spirit of God are, and I'm gonna put this in here, legally sons of God. And that's important. And it's important because when we read this, maybe you read this in your Bible. If you've got an ESV, they actually have a preference note. I encourage you to go read that later. The reason why Paul says sons here and not children is really important. And I wanna encourage you, uh, all of us in this room, when he says sons here, he's not saying that in one day, we, it's not some patriarchal weird system, right? That's, that's dumb, that's foolish. He's not saying that. He's not saying that one day we all become sons, like randomly in heaven, we all become males, right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that all of us, male and female, have an inheritance that is equal in value and in weight. And he's saying that because in their day and age, females, female daughters specifically wouldn't get an inheritance or at the very least as big of an inheritance as the sons. But he's saying all of us, male and female, and there is a distinction and there's a great distinction. He's about to say it again. He's about to make that distinction again. We have an equal inheritance in Christ. And so he encourages our heart with that. Let's move forward. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have a right and a privilege to go before the Father because of what Christ has done, and our prayers be heard as a father hears the cries of their child. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Romans 8, 12 to 17. So what makes biblical prayer and its relationship to disciple making so distinct? Well, let's unpack it. We're gonna unpack that this morning. Our main point, what I want you to leave with in this call to prayer is this, is that prayer is for the children of God, disciples, it's for the children of God to enjoy God. Prayer is for the children of God to enjoy God. So let's unpack that this morning. First point is this, is that prayer is, our, is for our enjoyment of God. Where, do, where does prayer begin? Where does prayer begin? Have you ever thought about this before? Prayer starts in some ways in, in the Garden of Eden. We're actually in Luke 3. Luke describes Adam as the son of God. And prayer for Adam is what we long for as Christians. Adam walked and he talked with God in a physical and personal way, where communication with God was perfect, where it was not stained by sin, where God was able to walk with his creation in a personal and, and, and very physical way. But that doesn't last long, does it? Right, the next chapter, Genesis 3, we see the fall happen, where Adam was our representative and he was told that we need to obey and live, disobey and die or you will die, and he obviously disobeys, but God shows grace in the punishment by saying in Genesis 3.15 that there would be a promised savior that would come, that would free them from what they had just done. And one of the major problems of the fall is this, is this severing of communication. What Adam and Eve did in sinning plunged all of us, every last human, into a world where we can't communicate with God in the perfect way we used to. We've tried. 
in multiple different ways, and we continue to try. Prayer comes as a way, in some senses, to restore a piece of what we lost in the garden, and so that should teach us something, right? You and I were never meant to be separated from God. We just weren't. We were meant to be close to God. We were meant to enjoy God perfectly and closely. And for the disciple, we know that our love and enjoyment of God depends on our prayer life. We should know that at least. If we are neglecting to pray and to commune with God, you are missing out on the fullness of what God is offering you in the gospel. You are. It would be like a toddler, and this happens all the time in the Lago home, it'd be like a toddler thinking they know what's best and then falling on their face every day instead of just listening to what the Father says, right? I can help you, right? Or it'd be like you're married, but you never speak to your spouse. Like you're missing the point, right? You're missing out on the, on the glories of this. That, it, you are missing out on all that God offers you if you ignore prayer. And so disciples, we pray and we help others pray. And this, this is the disciples' purpose, is that we are to be close to God. And so from Genesis onward, we see the development of God's people. We just saw this from a, from a couple to a large family. And then in Exodus, which is another great book, um, 400 years later, Israel becomes two million plus people. And they're in Egypt and they're in slavery. But the book of Exodus starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. And and Paul picks up on this point a lot too in his argument in Romans. And so God hears their prayers and he brings a Messiah-like mediator in Moses to come and to save his people. And how does God save his people? Have you ever thought about this? He saves his people through what? Miracles? Through the blood of a lamb? Through the blood of Egypt's firstborn? He gives them riches from Egypt. He baptizes them, as 1 Corinthians 10 says. He, God kills the former slave master, Pharaoh, and he guides them by his spirit through a wilderness towards a new promised land. God then gives his people a law to guide them morally in the Ten Commandments. He then gives them ceremonial laws which are continually reminding the people that through blood, they have access to God, a life for a life, that they have full access to God through a high priest. And in this system, God dwells with his people and he is close to his people. In Exodus 4, Israel is described as God's son and so God makes a way for his children to be close to their father, their creator. So why does all this matter? So our second point is this, is that prayer is only useful for the children of God. Prayer becomes this centralized place found at the tabernacle and at the temple eventually, which are these garden-like locations where God meets with his followers through a high priest like he used to with Adam. Prayer is only useful for God's people because they are made righteous. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous, Proverbs 15, 29. How is someone made righteous? By faith in what God has done, specifically by faith in the blood of the lamb. And this matters immensely because prayer is only for those in Christ. Now, what do I mean by this? If I heard the the cries of my child in this room right now, like if I just heard him wailing, like my whole body would tremble. It just would, right? But if I hear the cries of like your child, right, it's not gonna affect me too much. Like I don't really, it doesn't matter, right? It, It just rolls off my back, right? And in the same way, God only paternalistically, he cares as a father for his children. And this is a privilege for the children of God, right? This is a privilege that we see in Romans 8. We don't live in this fantasy land that maybe Hollywood like 
would like to paint us in, where God hears every prayer equally like a genie in a bottle. That's not how it works. God has made it clear that the way we draw close to him and we are heard by him is, and, and heard by him as a father is through the perfect blood of Jesus. And Jesus makes this clear. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father except through me. Not one of you, not me, is worthy on our own merits to approach a holy God. Our blood is just too stained by sin. We need new blood. We need new life. Being heard by a holy God isn't a right. It becomes a right, but it's a privilege for the people of God. So the real question I've got to ask is, have you been covered by this blood? Is this true of you? Are you or are you still enslaved to an evil slave master in sin? If so, then I call on you to repent and believe in the name of the holy son of God, Christ Jesus for your sins. Only then will God hear your prayers as a father because as Romans 8 says, only then have you been made a child of God through the spirit's working in our hearts. You can be heard is the point. You can be. I want you to be heard. God is calling on us and he has has proclaimed the gospel through his word and he wants you to be heard as a child. He wants to expand his family through the gospel. And this is a powerful privilege, right, for the people of God. This is a powerful privilege for the people of God just individually and corporately. What do I mean by that? James 5, 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Church, are we praying together? Are you praying together? Are you praying for your pastors? Are you praying for the city? Are you praying for your lost friend consistently? Are you praying in your community groups and for your community groups as much as you would pray for yourself? Disciples, we cannot ignore prayer because it has so much power for us. God has given us a great and wonderful tool. The scriptures show us a picture of a powerful prayer that's distinct for us and distinct for the disciples. And prayer continues to develop as as the way children approach their father and enjoy him. And so prayer, we need to understand, is that prayer is necessary in every season of life. Prayer is necessary in every season of life, in the highs of life, in the lows of life, and in the in-between. And as scripture continues, we see God develop his people. We see them eventually get a king and and then a better king in King David and then the temple with Solomon. And some of the greatest prayers and poetry are written by these two great men. But sin takes over and through years of patience, God, through the prophets, warns his people over and over and over again and then he has to punish them for his sinfulness. And one of the most overlooked books in all probably the whole Bible, if not the Old Testament, is Lamentations, and it's one of my favorite because it is a very depressing book in a lot of ways because you see Jeremiah is witnessing the temple of God, this supposedly perfect place, this palace of communion being destroyed and burned and and God's people murdered and exiled from their promised land and seemingly exiled from their God. Prayer from the Old Testament to the New Testament continually teaches us that the children of God need to rely on him. 
Lamentations 3, 19 to 25, probably the center of Lamentations says this, remember my afflictions and my wanderings, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope and this is the hope of the Christian too. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. God gives us prayer like a father who is just constantly available for his child, no matter the season. He's there for us. He wants to commune with us, which should teach us something, right? It should teach us something as disciples. It should teach us that we should never get bored with prayer, and I know I do. So I'm saying I know you do too, right? We get bored with prayer. I know it. And even in the mediocre seasons of our lives, disciples, we need to be firm in our devotion to prayer because it, just, it sustains us. It sustains us. No matter the season, we are called to pray because, this is really important, is that prayer isn't for God. Prayer is for you. Prayer isn't for God. It's for you. Let me, let me explain it this way. As a dad, I don't need to learn my shapes and my colors. Some of you think I still, do, still need to, but I don't need to, right? I don't need to learn my shapes and colors, but I want my kid to. I want him to learn his shapes and colors through me and him communicating. Not you, not you guys teaching him. I want to teach him. I want to commune with him. And so in the same way, prayer isn't for God that it teaches him something he doesn't already know because we know that God is sovereign. He's in control and that he is all-powerful. Prayer isn't for God that it teaches him something he doesn't know. Prayer is for our souls to be changed as we commune with our Father and we become more like him. That's the point of prayer. Prayer is for our souls to change, for our lives to change as we are conformed by the word of God and his spirit who guides us, as Romans 8 says, because those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. As a father, I'm overjoyed when my son comes to me and wants to show me his Hot Wheels, which I bought for him, by the way, right? I'm excited about that, and I'm also excited as a father when he comes to me, he runs to me, and he's crying because he skinned his knee, right? I love both of those scenarios because he knows that I'll care for him and that I love him. Am I a perfect father? No, not at all, right? No way. But Romans 8 tells us we need to cry out to our perfect father who hears us every time, and he promises us that he will hear us every time. And this leads us to the center of prayer and the promise, the foundation of our prayers. The center of our prayers is Christ Jesus. Christ is the center of our prayers. What do I mean by this? God promised that he would dwell with his people and with his creation. And in John 1, he comes as a man, and the word is he tabernacles, he dwells, among us. Jesus comes as this greater mediator to lead his people through a greater exodus from a greater and more oppressive slave master in sin. He teaches us how to live and to love one another and to approach God as a child approaches their father. He dies and he splits the veil holding us back from the dwelling place of God. He rises from the dead, gives us new life, and then he leaves and he ascends to heaven where he is now currently the eternal high priest who mediates between us and God. 
But then he also promises that his spirit would come and would tabernacle and would dwell in our hearts. And so you see, the Christian's heart becomes the temple where God's spirit dwells, guides, and sanctifies the Christian until Christ returns. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So prayer, we need to be reminded in prayer that we are united to each other in Christ. That's what unites us more than anything else. You, if you are a Christian and you meet another Christian, you are more bonded to them than to anyone else in this world. We are bonded to each other. Some of my favorite times in prayer have been with my community group, and I love them. My group has prayed for me, they celebrate with me, they mourn with me. I pray for them, I celebrate with them, and I mourn with them. Every last one of them in our group. This is what prayer was meant for. It was meant to sustain us as we wander through this wilderness of life. We do it together. As the children of God, we do it together. You see, prayer is simple. It's really simple. It just takes practice. It just takes time. It just takes discipline. Just like I had to, I had to work hard with my son to just get quality and quantity amount of time. Just to, just, it took so much time. It's the same for prayer. You are called to pray no matter what stage of your walk with Christ you might think you're at. You just need to pray. That's the call to pray. You just need to pray. And when you don't know what to pray or if your prayers are that good or how to pray, we have a promise, Christian. Romans 8.26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He elevates our prayers when they go before the Heavenly Father. Regardless of your comfortability or your ability to pray, you just need to pray because the Holy Spirit makes our prayers better. Just pray. Just pray. Join our prayer team. If you need prayer afterwards, you can come meet me or we have a prayer team back here. Because of COVID, they won't lay hands on you. Uh But um, we have a prayer team, and they are an amazing prayer team. I stole that joke from Bill. Um, And they are an amazing prayer team. And if you want to grow in your prayer life, join the team and and learn how to grow in prayer with prayer who are with faithful brothers and sisters who pray for you in between services while we're worshiping. They, They are so faithful to pray. So join our team or get prayer after the service. Prayer, just like the disciple, it has an end goal. There's an end goal to prayer. Joyful worship of our creator. You see, prayer becomes eternal, visible worship. That's what prayer becomes. Prayer finds its, its end point and its eternal fulfillment in heaven. What we lost in the garden, we find in heaven one day. We will. What you long for in your prayers, you will see face to face in heaven. Prayer moves from a conversation with the invisible God to the eternal worship of the now visible God. Prayer is our access to a life now that enjoys the gospel fully in this life now. So we need to be praying now because the act of praying is preparing our hearts and minds for what will be our eternity. And we have access to that now. Disciples pray and we also live in the already, but the not yet. We live in the already, but the not yet. Disciples, we pray and we help others pray. 
As Romans 8, 16, we've already seen, says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. As the children of God, you need to be living for the kingdom of heaven right now. We are suffering for the gospel today as we approach the day when there will be no more suffering, when we will be in glory with him. Prayer sustains us as we wander through this sinful wilderness towards a new promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. We long for that day as disciples. We're begging for that day to come. I can't stand wearing masks for, the, for I can't do it for too much longer, right? But we have to, we just have to keep suffering for the gospel. We long for the day, that glorious day, when all of our tears and prayers, when all of our sufferings in this life fade away in the glory of heaven. So, the, so prayer is for the children of God, for the disciple to enjoy God. So don't seek after anything else in this life. Don't seek after the comforts in this life. Don't seek after any other rock to, to lay your head on. Seek after the rock of Christ. Seek God in prayer. And with that, let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning that it is, again, sharper than any two-edged sword, that, Lord, your word pierces my heart where I, I need this call to prayer just as much as your people do. I need it so much, Lord. In my own life, I struggle to pray. I struggle in confidence to draw before the throne of grace, but you promise us that we can have confidence to draw before the throne of grace because you hear us as a, as a loving father hears their child. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, as we respond in worship, as we respond by singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, that we would be taught, that we would be, Lord, grown and changed into the image of your Son. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning, and I pray that your spirit would be moving in this church and in our hearts. Lord, I pray this in your Son's name. Amen.